When we go to a store, we see like little things, items that you wouldn't think of getting locked up. How big is it when you're hearing from these grocery stores? What is the numbers Like there? the numbers? We're yeah. talking millions. These chains, these stores, these small businesses, they all stand together against retail theft, but we also need to remember that they're also competitors to each other, so they're not always gonna share all the information that they have. A lot of people look at like, hey, shoplifting has gone down. Look at it from the years previous. Well, when you don't make it a crime anymore, it's hard to report it. My guest today is Juan Alanis, assembly member from Modesto and former law enforcement officer. Today, he'll discuss the issue of rising retail theft in California and his insights from serving on the assembly select committee on retail theft. He also talks about the impacts on businesses, law enforcement, and our local communities. But a lot of people do think that people are just stealing because they need to survive. Now let's go a little bit further to what they are stealing. 20 bottles of detergent or 100 steaks, just things that are abundant. Unless they're feeding up two or 300 people, then, then that's 100 not. steaks Hundreds. at one time? Just throwing them all in there and then heading out the door in a shopping cart. They stopped the person and the person didn't care and kept going or somebody got hurt which is why a lot of these retailers are now like, you're not to touch them, you're not to stop them. And the, the criminals know this. That's why they're walking now out of the store. They're not running anymore. They're loading that shopping cart and they're out. I'm Siamak Karami. Welcome to California Insider. Juan, it's great to have you on. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We want to talk to you about a topic that's really important to Californians. California has decided to create this committee to look at see what's happening with, with retail theft. Can you tell us more how this became a thing for, for uh, how, how did we get here? So this uh, select committee on retail theft, I think many moving parts came into play when this became a thing. And a lot of the constituents to a lot of my colleagues have spoken, have reached out to them and told them like, retail theft's a big thing, we're losing businesses. Uh, something that did come up in the committee was Chair Zabur and you had Assemblymember Bonta uh, had apparently, and, and this is a story that was told in, in committee, had gone to the speaker and, and said that we needed to do something. And so apparently that's what, what sparked all this because obviously the speaker agreed. So thankfully I got a phone call asking if I wanted to be a part of this. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad they thought of me because I, I can bring a lot of insight to my law enforcement career and, and how it applies and how it's being put into practice. Because even, even, even things that I thought were intended for good things could, I've seen change and putting them into practice are different things. So that's how this select committee came about. And we learned a lot of information on it. We learned uh, a lot of the, the statistics go as far as from the state went from Prop 47 and what it's done and what, what it's provided. And then hearing from those that are actually boots on the ground saying, this is how it's happening, and this is what it was intended for, and they're not the same. What are your thoughts on how media is covering theft, you know, and, and, and crime? Because from one side, we see these videos that are everywhere. From another side, we get the newspapers to say, statistics say crime is down, or is up by 5%, or very low percentage. Do you think the media has a role in that they're playing in kind of making us feel that crime is less than what it is actually. I actually think media is a big part of what's going on in our state and our nation. They, they have their own narrative 
and they need to sell stories. You know, they need to they need to make sure that they're keeping it to where one they're going to sell their papers or they're going to sell their articles or whatever it is. So I think they have their own agenda, and I don't think that that's right. I, I think people should get all the all the facts and let them be able to come to a conclusion on their own. <coughs> Having said that, with the media. Going back to the stats that you said they provide sometimes to show that they're, they're lower, something I mentioned earlier is it's, it's hard to have a stat on something when it's no longer a crime. If it's not, if it's not a crime anymore, then it's, not, it's obviously going to go down. From one side, we're getting information and data that retail theft is not up significantly. From another end, we see these crazy videos of people running out of stores with these purses and bags and all these things. And another side of it, when we go to a store, we see like little things, items that you wouldn't think of getting locked up. You're an assembly member, you were in a committee to, to review what's going on with retail theft. Can you tell us what's happening? So what you explained, a lot of these industries are finding ways to make things work because unfortunately government's not always there to support them or help them out. And retail theft's a big, great example right now of, of how government is failing our retailers. Uh, just the grocery markets. We'll go into groceries and they're finding out that they need to maybe rearrange certain things that are in the store to where they're not accessible. Obviously, we were talking about like the plexiglass and like the deodorants and stuff that you would have never imagined would be behind a barrier uh, are now happening. But even simple things now as like self-checkout is something that some stores are getting away from because they're finding there's a lot of theft involved with that as well. And so they're just trying to uh, minimize any possibilities that people, uh, maybe even uh, law-abiding citizens for the most part, that just see an opportunity, like, you know what, hey, I can walk out with this and, and we'll do that. And so if they can minimize and, and maybe take that out of the scenario, it, it makes it better for their business because obviously they're there to make a profit. They need to pay their employees. They need to pay for their insurance and everything else that goes with it. And theft is just taking that away from them. So how big is it when you're hearing from these grocery stores? What, what, is, the, what is the numbers? Like there? the numbers? We're yeah. talking millions. That's something I'm curious about as well. Data is something that drives Sacramento. It didn't take me long to figure out that data was something that my colleagues like to see. Uh, I always hear the data doesn't lie. Well, I, I think it does lie to a sense. It just depends on your perspective on how you present it and how you look at it. Uh, but it's still good to have the numbers regardless. And that was brought up many times in the committee. And as far as uh, me wanting to know them as well, uh, that's something right now the Little Hoover Commission is actually working on, on trying to get those numbers so that way we can present them. And so the Retailers Association, they were trying to explain that you need to understand that these these chains, these stores, these small businesses, they all stand together against retail theft, but we also need to remember that they're also competitors to each other, so they're not always gonna share all the information that they have. And I'm hoping that's, that's one of the barriers the Little Hoover Commission can get through. So the problem is that we don't really know how much theft is there, and people don't report it to the police. Like the police reports are, are not accurate, right? Underreporting was a big thing that was brought up in the committee, and it, it's very true. I, I have communities in my district that I know for a fact do not call the police department because it's under $950, and they know it's not going to go anywhere. And I've even seen uh, in, in my career being in the courthouse and, and watching some of these victims who decide, you know what, enough's enough. Yeah, I'm going to do the citizen's arrest. I'm going I'm to fully help prosecute this person 
And so now this store, say they have employees of maybe four or five. Well, some of them are going to have to go testify at the courthouse, sit there and wait for the court to happen while the store needs to be running. So now they're losing that money by having those employees there. So already out the gate, they're already losing probably more money than, than what was taken. So a lot of these businesses are weighing that in now. It's like, is it really worth it for me to do it? Because now even if they do get prosecuted, they're probably going to do time served because they were probably in jail for a couple of days. They're going to get probation or, or maybe told, you know what, you can't, you can't go to that store anymore. And they don't, they don't always listen to that. So the punishment is to say, don't go there anymore? Is that? That's some of the punishments. You get a, a no trespassing letter. So they don't even need to commit an act at that point. It's just, just them that's trespassing. But the other thing that my colleagues and, and a lot of people need to understand is uh, they were upset because police or law enforcement don't respond immediately. Well, we, law enforcement needs to triage things also. If you have a shooting, domestic violence, some kind of an assault, it's going to take priority over a theft. And unfortunately, we have a lot of that also. So uh, you are going to have delayed uh, um, arrival times or delayed reporting. Uh, a lot of people are, uh, are just not wanting to report it for that reason, too. We even, it even came up in the committee that uh, some businesses are being uh, told that they're harassing by continuously calling the and police. trying to report. And so there were some very upset people. Even one of the chiefs of police was there. Uh, he, was, uh, he wasn't happy that he heard that also. And you, you can't really fault people if, if you're a victim constantly over and over and over again and you're calling every time it happens. So there's a lot of deterrence going around one, uh, no prosecution or the, the feeling that there's no prosecution going on. Uh, nobody wants to sign a citizen's arrest because then you become the bad guy. And so I told them what, what that now does is person who just committed the theft is right there in front of the person who's going to sign the citizen's arrest saying they did it. Well, now they're going to know you. You signed it. Yeah. You're yeah. The, you now become, oh, you're that person now. Like, oh, I got friends. They're going to come back. We'll retaliate. Whereas I used to be the person they focused all their, their issues with. As a law enforcement As officer. As a law enforcement officer, right? You know, yeah. I'm taking the arrest. Yeah, I'm just getting the report from you, the facts basically from it, and then we're going on from there. Well, now the government basically by, prop, by, by the people passing Prop 47 now put that in your hands. And so now you get to become that person. And so a lot of people don't want to be that person, and they let it go. Most of the leaders in the state, do they believe that the data is not correct? Like people don't want to report these crimes because there's no consequences, or do they think that data is okay? Well, that's the thing. That's, there's, there's really no data on it yet. And that's, that's what I'm hoping with the Little Hoover Commission will now bring that to light, the actual hard numbers of what it does look like. Uh, we had some people who testified. We had some that were from Riverside. We had a DA from Riverside who reported specifically on what her county has as far as uh, jail population and what was going on as far as theft going down, going up. A lot of people look at like, hey, uh, uh, shoplifting has gone down. Look at it from the years previous. Well, when you don't make it a crime anymore, it's hard to report it. So, of course, the numbers are going to look, look better or more in your favor. They're skewed that way. So that's what people also need to look at when they look at that data. It's like, well, why did this go down so much? Is this it's because it's not a crime or it's because it's underreported or it's, it's happening because nothing's being done with it as far as prosecution or consequences go? There's a lot of factors that go into it. Now, there is another thing 
Uh, Juan, I've noticed I was in San Francisco. We actually did a documentary on crime a few years ago. And um, what I noticed in San Francisco, and we interviewed some residents, we talked to different people, and some said that it's okay, you know, if it's fine because people are, there's this thinking that people say, okay, the person that's taking that is, it needs it. You know, they, they need that $100 item, and this store has a lot of money. We are a society that we are, we are, we are wealthy, and um, why don't we let that person have that? Uh, do you think this thinking is, is, is there in Sacramento, or, or? That thinking is there also, but they also put it down to, or put it off onto, well, they're insured. They, they have insurance, and that's, that's not an excuse. Uh, insurance costs money, and rates do go up. And, and as you may know, in California, insurance companies are dropping people left and right. That's a whole other issue, probably another segment right there with insurance. But uh, it, it costs people money. And if, if I'm constantly turning in insurance claims, my insurance is going to go up, which then will now go to the consumers whose prices are they're going to have to pay more for. But a lot of people do think that people are just stealing because they need to survive. California is probably one of the, the, the biggest states as far as having programs available for people who are uh, homeless, transients, uh, just hungry programs for kids and for adults. We have so many programs. We have so many churches uh, that provide these services in every community that it's really hard to say that they needed to go steal to go do that. But now let's go a little bit further to what they are stealing. And, and this was a, a great thing I had with one of the grocery stores that I I visited who took pictures of things that they had confiscated from people who were going out the store with 20, 20 bottles of detergent or a hundred steaks, uh, you know, just things that are abundant. Unless they're feeding up two or three hundred people, then then that's a hundred steaks hundreds, at one time. Just throwing them all in there and then heading out the door in a shopping cart. There, there's no way. And now, now if there's like a steak and maybe uh, a soda, then, okay, maybe that's just for them. Then maybe I can give that argument a little bit more validity, but that's not what's happening. Uh, we need to stop making excuses. We need to start holding people accountable is what we need to do. And until we have consequences, people are going to keep doing it. Do you think that argument, so that, that argument kind of um, accuses of poor people um, being more likely to steal, and I don't think that's a, that's a very well thoughtful way of looking at things. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, people do usually uh, go to the, it's, it's the poor people that are stealing more than, than anybody else or any other class. To an extent, that could be correct. It could be the way they were brought up. It could be the maybe they're a product of their environment of how they saw things and they don't know any better. But until we can get people to actually like get into classes and and learn how to take care of themselves, which is what part of what our uh, judicial system was part of. Like you know, you're going to get sentenced, or you're going to get told that you're on probation, or you have to do these classes. Those have gone away, and so now people aren't aren't receiving that training or that rehabilitation that they used to have. I think sometimes we're doing a disservice to people when we do let them out early, even though some people are very happy about that because they say the statistics prove that over-incarcerated doesn't help that person. Well, in some cases, I care more about the victims and helping the public safety. But also, if you take a, a, a look into the person that's being incarcerated, they're there also to better themselves. 
if they can't get into the programs that, that could uh, help provide a better life for them when they get out, or just life in general, uh, then we're doing a disservice to them also. So if there's like an eight-month or a year program that they should be enrolled in and being part of and taking, uh, taking and learning from, and we let them out in two months, they didn't learn anything, and they're just going to go back and, and reoffend. What was it like before? What was these programs? Can you explain to our audience how it would work if you get caught before this Prop 47? I, it, it's, what was it like, and what is it now? So what some people need to understand is Prop 47 did two things. It, it, it was retail theft uh, that we're talking about today, but also it had a component with drug possession that used to be a felony down to a misdemeanor. And so again, now that's a ticket. You know, you're not going to the jail. You're not, you're not facing the hard time that you normally would. Well, when people would face hard time, they would get choices. You either do this hard time or you do drug court. Oh, they're going to pick drug court, and then they're going to go to drug court, and they're going to get the help that they need. They're going to get the counseling they need. They're going to help get clean. I've seen people, I've seen them myself, people get their families back, get their life back on track, and get their jobs or get a job. I've actually been thanked uh, at some of these graduations when I, I didn't even remember arresting them when I was a bailiff in these courtrooms, thanking me for arresting them in a sense, which brought them back on track and got them their life back. So there, there's some real value to that, but law enforcement has lost that tool now with Prop 47 tying basically your hands on it or their hands on it to where they're misdemeanors now. And so those programs don't really uh, happen as much. Uh, in the last 10 years, drug court has dropped like 67%, I believe is what it was. And you can double check my numbers. Uh, but again, if you don't have those consequences, people, are, oh, I'm going to go do my, my time and get out real soon. Okay, so AB 109 was brought up. Uh, DA from Riverside brought that up, and it was a great point. There's so much, uh, so with AB 109 took the prisons, uh, started closing prisons down, and now your state time now went to county time. So you're doing state time in these county jails. Well, not all the county jails can accommodate for this population that has been brought in. And so now you have these sheriffs who need to figure out who do I keep, who do I let go to keep capacity a safe capacity in my facilities. Well, theft, again, is not high on the priority, just as I talked about as far as uh, responding to a call and taking a report. So they're going to get out sooner. So now me being a defendant uh, saying, you want to send me to drug court or you want me to go do some time? I'll go do three months or whatever, and I'm going to be out by next week because I want to get out. That's, that's what they want. They want to get out. They don't know that they should actually be getting the counseling and the programs that they should be getting to get them back where they should be. So in your experience, if it's not mandated, this counseling or education, people won't do it? Correct. If you see somebody who's on drugs out on the streets or anything like that, I don't see anybody volunteering to go to rehab. And it's not until they have some big heavy sentence or even just a sentence that they don't want to do that they're not going to get into these programs. And we've lost that ability. This episode is sponsored by Midas Gold Group. Do you feel the bills are getting higher and higher every time you check out the grocery store? Do you feel your monthly discretionary money has decreased, although your income increases yearly? Inflation is eating away at your wealth. Digital wallets and central banks' digital currencies are destroying financial privatization. Only gold and silver are constitutional forms of money. Our privacy was to be protected against unlawful watch and seizure. 
Midas Gold Group will help you take control of your finances and protect your wealth and your privacy. Pulling money out of the questionable banking and investment system is the way to privatize your finances as the elite push us towards digital wallets and central bank digital currency. Protect your wealth with real money. Deal with the best at Midas Gold Group, a proud America First company. You can check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. Click on the link below and check them out. Now let's go back to the interview. How much of this theft is drug related? Because you know areas like San Francisco where the, they have the homeless population and a lot of the homeless population there are, are dealing with addiction and mental illness. It's not, from what we can gather, it's not the people that really need, that the, the, they're out there because of financial reasons. Um, but there is a lot of retail theft there. Is, it, is the drug issue has a big correlation to this theft? It, it has a big correlation, and, and if anything, it's gotten worse. So it's hard to think about it, but drug manufacturers, illegal drug manufacturers, have found ways to make the drugs even more addictive and the high last a little bit. As, as Let's say a high used to last a couple hours. Now they're only lasting like 30 minutes. Well, now these drug users want to go back out and get their high again. Wow. And so it, it's, it's by design. And so they'll, they'll go out and they'll commit another crime again to help support their habit. And, that, and that's also what's happening. And fentanyl obviously is a big thing also in the state. That's another big, that's a very addictive thing also if it doesn't kill them. Uh, that again, it's, it's a high that they get really quick. It, it's gone and then, hey, I want to go back to that. I need to get some more money. I need to go steal something. And then circle just keeps going until it's interrupted by an arrest gets them the counseling and the help they need it's just going to keep going and if they get right now if they get in trouble it will be a ticket yes so you're promising to appear in court you're going to sign this here they may or may not go it may turn into a bench warrant uh, but then even when the court happens it, they may not get much at all and they'll be out because of overcrowding so then when they go to court then they might not get any they may, they may get, a, again, the, you can't trespass at that place anymore. Uh, going back to retail theft, okay. Uh, it, it depends on how many offenses they have also. And uh, kind of switching gears here, but that's another thing that was brought up yesterday was uh, petty theft with priors. Uh, that was part of the penal code that would get people who offended over and over again would get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, more. that's something we have seen that's going up more and more people. Are so that, that also was something that disappeared. With yeah. 47. So, so, so you no longer have that. Uh, so if you did it multiple times, like if you did it once and you got caught, then, then that's fine. But if you did it multiple times before, you would get in trouble, right? Correct. Yeah, you would have petty theft with priors. And the whole idea of transpassing. So, so let's say you cannot transpass and you go and do it because you've already stolen from the place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> is, that, is it a big penalty for that? What's the punishment for that? And if you go back. If they trespass, yeah. it could be, it could be a, a slap on the wrist. There's not really much teeth as it goes. We've, we've lost the teeth that we used to have or that bite that we used to have that would deter people. The history of mankind as far as crimes go, for those that uh, study criminology or anything like that, you have to have the penalty strong enough or harsh enough to where those people, people won't want to commit that crime, like murder, right? That's like the worst you can do. Well, we used to have the death penalty here, with, which used to scare people. I don't want to get the death penalty. Well, we've taken that off the plate now. And so 
they don't have to worry about that as much. And so maybe, maybe I will commit a murder. Maybe I won't. It's, I don't, I'm not looking at a death sentence anymore. And I know I'm going to the extreme there, but taking it back to the retail theft side, okay, let me go and steal the $800 or $900. I'm, I'm, nothing's really going to happen to me. Maybe I'll do a week in jail or whatever, but hey, I just did that and I'll go do it again. And, and they'll do it at multiple stores, not just one. And, and that's something, again, that was brought up by my colleagues. We want to see the data. We want to see the data. We're data-driven. And, and it, it's a good thing to do that, too, just so you can have the answers or at least be able to make some educated uh, choices on, on the matters. But it, it's there. And, and I felt really bad for some of the people, <laughs> the panelists, who did not have the numbers at that point. But they know that's the way it's going to be. That's how I feel with the Little Hoover Commission, who uh, is going to prove that we're losing more in retail theft then we're saving by our, our prisons. That was something that one of the state analysts had brought up at the very beginning, the first panel. She, I, I, I made sure to ask her exactly how much money are we saving by closing these, these prisons. She said $113 million is what we're, we're saving. Well, I know there's a store just outside of my district. Uh, you're, you're looking at like $4 million just lost in, in one year in retail theft. In that's just, one store. That's just one store. So I, I know I can, I can make up the difference of that 113 that we're going to prove and show that w retailers, small businesses are, are taking a big hit just for us to take care of a small population is what we're doing. And that's another thing. This is a, this is a small population that we're talking about compared to the rest of California. And some people get shamed into that. And I don't think they should be shamed into that. I think public safety should be a priority. I think people should feel safe going shopping. They should feel safe uh, going to go check out and, and get a wedding dress or, or go to the theater, th those kind of things. I, I don't think people need to be in fear of going out and doing the normal things that we used to uh, enjoy. And, and so we're going back to this small community that we're talking about. And in this community I'm talking about are the criminals, those that used to be locked up, that have now been taken from the state level, taken to the county jails. Hey, you know what? We don't have enough room. You're going to get out. You're going to get out. You're going to get out. And now they're back in our communities. I'm sure you've seen the headlines of some people who have committed murders again that were let out because of this. And, and it's unfortunate. So not, not only uh, are you making new victims, but what about the families of the victims that felt like they had some justice when that person was locked up and now they're back out? So there, there's so many things that need to be thought of and heard of or heard about and, and taken into consideration when this happens. And it's, it's unfortunate that it's, it's, we're going through this right now, but at least right now we're, we're taking steps in my mind now to hopefully correct some of this. And this is something I also mentioned about Prop 47 later on after the committee was that Prop 47 was, I think, a, like a knee-jerk reaction in a sense. It was too far, too far of a reach of what it did. I think we should have met in the middle or maybe taking some baby steps towards that because I know it was about overpopulation of our, of our prisons. And yeah, we don't need to overpopulate for, for crimes like theft, uh, but making sure we're providing the programs, uh, making sure we reevaluate these sentences, but not taking them off the table. That's not the answer. And obviously, we're, where we're, we are right now where we are is because of those decisions that we made. Before we continue, we would like to thank Shen Yun for sponsoring this channel. I lived in China for two years and experienced two different Chinas. One is the China we know now, unfortunately with communism, 
And the other is ancient Chinese culture with 5,000 years of history, strong values, ethics and morality that has been lost. Shenyun Performing Arts is reviving this 5,000 years of Chinese traditional culture. It takes you back in time to magical world of ancient China with a unique blend of brilliant dancing, beautiful costumes, and legends coming to life. Go to shenyun.com to find out the schedule and theater information. It's a lifetime experience you don't want to miss. Just so inspiring. It makes me want to go dance. Breathtaking. I was very impressed. I'm taking my program and I'm going to mention it on the news because I think it's a great performance and people should see it. What I loved about the show was the authenticity of it. It was taking me on a journey. Exceptional, the technique involved that, the thousands of hours of training. People just float. Everything was exact and then they worked to the exact moment and it was beautiful. You go away feeling with a smile in your heart from it. Have to come. Life-changing. Make sure you see it. Make sure you see it. Don't wait. Don't Get your tickets wait. now. And this does hurt the image of California, right? You know, we have this beautiful state. Everybody, this is the best place in the world. And we've been covering this on the show, these, these issues that are happening in California. And people think, you know, we are always talking badly of California, but it does hurt our image because this is one of the best places in, in the world. Right? It, it is. It, we, we have a beautiful state. I'm from Modesto. Where else can you go a couple hours and be on the beach or go a couple hours and go snow skiing or whatever, right? It's, it's beautiful. Or, or I can go down here to Southern California area and enjoy the beautiful weather here almost year-round. Palm, palm, palm trees. <laughs> and palm <you> trees, <laughs> yes. Where else can you get that in one state? Well, I guess there's a couple that you can, but... California, I'm obviously biased. I was born here, but it, it's, like you said, it's a beautiful state. It's a great state. Uh, people want to enjoy it, but now we're getting that stigma more of the retail theft and you're and just businesses leaving our, our state uh, are a big sign. If you look at San Francisco, I think that's that's the, the poster child of retail theft of what's happening. It's all these big businesses leaving the city and not and saying they're not coming back. I think that says a lot. I don't even think you need data for that. If they're doing that, then something's wrong. Especially in a city like San Francisco, which was the jewel of the... Yes, the Golden Gate, beautiful city. I, I don't visit it if I don't have to. Now, Juan, was there a point where you started noticing the retail theft growing in the state? So with my prior career in law enforcement, obviously I, I got to see what it was like before Prop 47 and after Prop 47. It's, it's frustrating, and I'll go to the drug side of it, it's frustrating as a law enforcement officer when you used to be able to make arrests and those, those that you arrested would be still in jail and then go see a court and then be sentenced or start their case. Now you're seeing them get out before your shift even ends. So that's that's very hurtful, I guess you can say, or, or saddening, or so many words I could say. So right you arrest somebody and then they're out already correct. after and, you. And it's like the, the system's broken in a sense on that. And, and I'm not talking them getting bailed out. I'm talking about them getting cited out or, or getting released. And then the retail theft side, getting to a store, talking with the victims, learning what happened, and then learning more about how they've done everything they can to prevent theft. They've uh, or they stopped the person and the person didn't care and kept going or, or somebody got hurt, uh, that, which is why a lot of these retailers are now like, you're not to touch them, you're not to stop them. 
And the, the criminals know this. They know I'm not going to get stopped. That's why they're walking now out of the store. They're not running anymore. They're loading that shopping cart and they're out. But that's why retailers are taking it into their own hands of finding ways to deter theft or prevent it. Some aren't allowing carts to go outside anymore. Uh, they're rearranging where items are in the store. Again, they're not doing the self-checkout or they're getting away from self-checkout. I, I think uh, getting rid of self-checkout helps a lot of other people. I'm sure like labor groups also are more uh, in favor of that because then you're employing people again, which I think is great. I think it helps in, in multiple themes as far as the state goes with, with the self-checkout issue. But again, that's retailers but taking... But the cost will go up for the cost us, is for go consumers up. because we have to pay for the Correct. safety now of this store. Or, or you can look at it also this way. With some of these stores with so much retail theft that they're closing, some of these communities that they're closing in are low-income, underserved communities. Uh, people who uh, some of my colleagues, uh, you know, they, they care about, they're part of, and everybody should care about them, but uh, some of my colleagues who feel they're fighting for these low-income areas and these underserved areas, fighting for them, fighting for them, they're actually hurting them because these stores, the first places they're going to close are most likely the low-income area. So they're going to pull out of that community and now these people who live in that community go get uh, medicines, groceries, uh, what, uh, clothing, now have to go further into town. And you have elderly, you have uh, people with disabilities uh, that just it find it hard to where they can't go as far as that uh, location is now that they no longer have. So they become like a, a desert in a sense with the stores. And, and it's sad for that. Or I could take it another step, that store that is decided to remain there, but is now uh, decreasing the amount of employees because now people, instead of uh, waiting for that deodorant or that shampoo to get unlocked, now they're going online. And so now they're ordering online products. And so now the store is still going to stay open, but little Johnny, who was very proud to work at the store and provide for his family, no longer has a job there because there's so much theft, everything's locked. They're not getting as much business. And, and that brings me to people ordering online, something that uh, Assemblymember Vince Vong brought up, uh, porch pirates. So you got people who, we, all of us are oh, yeah, ordering now, online, now especially that, in my yeah, house. Yeah, that you, would. you get it delivered to your house and people are going there and they're grabbing it. So that's another thing that was brought up in committee. Uh, and so Vince, Vince brought that up and, and it was, it's, it's a good point. And that's where it's also going to shift to. You have a lot of people doing that. and. That's a whole other issue that we can talk about. It seems like this is becoming, in a segment of a society, you may call them the criminals or whatever they are, or maybe, maybe borderline opportunists. Or we're kind of creating this culture. And if we don't stop it, it will come somewhere, you know, whether it's at the porch, whether it's at the, in the, in the store. store. Yes. Uh, so, so Juan, it seems like we've created somewhat of a culture with our laws, and we didn't do it intentionally. Some people pick on California and say we would love to do this kind of things. It's not true. We didn't do it intentionally, and somehow we have allowed this group of people, some may be criminals and some may be opportunists, and uh, what are your thoughts on this? Is this going to change? I, I think we, and I say we as the voters of California, all took part in this when Prop 47 was passed. Uh, if you recall, it was uh, Safe Neighborhoods and Schools is what it was titled. And so who's going to vote no on that? Uh, just the title alone, oh, safe schools, safe neighborhoods, of course. 
Now, I think I might have even voted yes on that, because why would I vote no on that? But if you got into the details and found out about it, it's not exactly what it was titled. So that's just, just one thing. It's a big thing on, on where our culture is going now in California, but there's AB 109, Prop 57. There's, there's others also that led to kind of where we're going right now. But like I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm happy we're, we're somewhat taking a stand right now, maybe calling time out. What's going wrong? What can we fix? What's doing good? Uh, so I think I think that's a good thing that uh, is going on right now, with, especially with the select committee. And, and I, I give credit also again to Speaker Rebus. He's he's taking a look at it, and so I, I think that's that's a good sign for Californians. I think it's a great sign for our retailers, our small businesses. That hey, again, help is coming. Uh, we just got to have some hope. And then Juan, you grew up here, right? Born and raised in California. Born and raised in California. How does all this make you feel, like? seeing what's happened to the state because it wasn't like this when you were growing up right correct it, it wasn't uh that's part of why i'm up in sacramento i, I have grandkids now i have obviously my kids but just i want to make sure that they get to enjoy what you and i got to enjoy here many i mean not even that long ago like 10 years maybe uh, of what we got to enjoy as far as feeling safer back then going again shopping and going out enjoying not even thinking about those things no, like follow should, home robberies. No, you should never think about that. And, and unfortunately, it's gotten worse now with school shootings, uh, mass shootings. I, I know that's, that's a whole other thing going on there, but just the little things that we do have some control over, I, I would like to help the narrative to where people can still feel safe going out doing the normal everyday things. Do you have any other thoughts for our audience? California is a beautiful state. It's worth fighting for. I think that's why we're all up there in Sacramento to, to contribute somewhat to that fight to making it a better place. I'm surely up there because I, I, I retired from law enforcement to go up there because I, I got tired of laws that cater to criminals was what I normally, is, is what I say all the time. And, and again, over the years, I've seen it change to that. And we're thinking more of, again, this small community as opposed to this community. I care more about the victims I care more about our public safety. I care about people, again, being able to go out and shop, go enjoy themselves with their family, enjoy California. But right now, it's kind of hard to do when you have no consequences out there to where people can just do whatever they want to you and, and victimize you. And that's not fair. So I think that's, that's a big part of what we're trying to fix up in Sacramento, and, and I'm glad to be part of that fight. And do you think you guys can fix it? It's going to be a challenge. I think, I think the more my colleagues are educated on the consequences or the, the lack of consequences that have been going on, I, I think that's, that's going to help them better educate on how they vote and, and where they go with it. I think, I think getting out into the communities and, in a sense, doing a field trip, a show and tell, whatever it, it, it takes, I think will hold a lot more value in that instead of just reading about it and I strongly believe in that and I I think like we mentioned earlier we, we could probably go to a store with the cameras and sit there and probably watch some retail theft happen within the first hour or so it's it's there unfortunately do you think uh, you guys will do that in this committee I'm hoping we will do that in this committee uh, I think we were off to a good start yesterday on just educating and and getting information uh, I I know we're not done yet. I, I know uh, the chair of the committee, Rick Zaber, had mentioned that we were going to talk about diversion, which is a, a, 
a big thing also, diversion as far as programs providing, like we mentioned earlier, for like people on drugs, helping them get clean and sober and get them back in their life. Same thing with, with the diversion. Maybe there's some issues they have in their life that we need to help fix so they can be uh, better citizens, be more productive in their life, and, and be able to thrive. But until you can have them in there, uh, sitting there and, and getting those classes, then none of this is going to happen, and it's not worth it for them. Because, again, I'll just go do a couple weeks, and I'll be out. Or, or it's some hard time. It's like, okay, now I'll really pay attention and help better myself. So I, I hope that the, uh, the select committee uh, will shine a lot of light on, on the issues at hand. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Juan Alanis, Assemblyman from Modesto. It was great to have you on California Insider. Thank you. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. If you haven't checked out CaliforniaInsider.com, we highly recommend you do that now because we're going to have a lot of news and videos there. And on top of what we have there right now, we're building a really big platform to cover what's happening in California. So you can be informed. We're going to have more shows, more videos from all aspects of life in California. Go to CaliforniaInsider.com and we'll see you there.